Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source of info for insights and best practices in digital health and digital transformation. Join host Patty Padmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and co-author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, How Technology, Consumerism, and Pandemic Are Accelerating the Future, in conversation with leading practitioners of healthcare and technology. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to this episode of the Big Unlock Podcast. I'm your host, Paddy, and my special guest today is Tarun Kapoor, Chief Digital Transformation Officer at Virtua Health in New Jersey. Tarun talks about the differences in the population segments that they serve in southern New Jersey and how that drives his digital health priorities and investments and how to address the needs of diverse populations with diverse income profiles. He talks about the different trade-offs involved in digital health implementations, how to address concerns within their stakeholder groups within the organization, and how to make smart decisions when it comes to digital health solution investments. Let's jump right in. And before we get there, a quick shout out to our partners and sponsors. Be well. I am thrilled to be here today with Tarun Kapoor. Chief Digital Transformation Officer at Virtua Health in New Jersey. Tarun, what a pleasure it is to have you on the show and welcome. Bobby, thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity to chat with you a little bit more and uh, to chat with uh, your, your listeners. Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into this role, and also a little bit about Virtua and the populations that you, uh, that you serve and, and a little bit about key priorities for the organization itself for the year. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much. So starting with the first part of the question, my journey, wherever you go, there you are, I think sums it up. I don't think this was ever truly planned. I'm a physician by training, internal medicine, hospitalist. I was actually going to be a gastroenterologist. I, I had a fellowship lined up and then I came to profound realization that I just didn't really like abdominal pain. So I actually gave up the fellowship uh, before I started and was gainfully unemployed. I ended up joining a startup, and it was at the time when hospital medicine was just emerging. So I was a hospitalist. Uh, we grew a uh, hospitalist company business, and um, you know, was able to exit that successfully. From there, you know, again, another transition point. And it's a recurring theme in, in um, I think, in my, my my journey. And from there, I got an opportunity to get connected with Virtua. Been very fortunate at Virtua, been a number of different roles, ranging from informatics to being part of the medical group to population health. And then in 2019, I was asked to take on a a stretch assignment for digital. We had done only five ambulatory video visits in 2019, set the goal for 500. Lo and behold, March 2020 comes along. And um, as the saying goes, better lucky than good. So we finished uh, just a little bit short of 200,000. So yes, did exceed our goal that year. So that's hence the role we created to hardwire some of those accelerations from digital transformation that was being produced by the pandemic. How do we hardwire that into our, our organization such that we just don't go back to the original way of doing things? Hence, we created a digital transformation office and I'm so, so fortunate to be able to head that team up. With regards to question about uh, Virtua, Virtua is the integrated delivery network in the southern part of New Jersey. Think of right along that Philadelphia latitude. And, you know, that, you know, in terms of a market, it's actually a, New Jersey's pretty dense from a uh, population density perspective. And 
one of the things that's really interesting about our market is there is a tremendous diversity in socioeconomics. One of the facts that we call out is we have some of the more affluent neighborhoods that have, one of them actually has two Apple stores within 10 minutes driving distance of each other. Seven miles away is Camden, New Jersey, one of the most disadvantaged communities. And actually just a a startling fact, the life expectancy amongst those seven miles is 16 years. And, you know, I, I think that tells you a very, it's an important point for us to be thinking about, including in our digital transformation, we got to make sure that what has continued to probably created inequities does not continue to accelerate forward in yeah. the digital transformation. So that's a little bit about how we got here. It's such an interesting comment you make. And so indeed, it seems to be true that a zip code is really a predictor of mortality, life expectations, health equity, and all of the other stuff. And, and the data point that you shared is just a stark reminder of the fact of life uh, as far as healthcare goes. So talk to us a little bit about your key priorities for the organization and how the digital transformation function fits into those priorities. So I don't think some of the key priorities I'll I'll list out for you are that much different than many of the other integrated delivery networks. You know, there has been these remarkable swings since 2020 Tough year, lots of shutdown of business operations, so essentially suppressed demand. 2021, for a number of health systems, ourselves included, saw a dramatic rebound of that demand. Likely, it was that suppressed demand from 2020 coming into 2021. And then now comes the Omicron surge for us, which actually hit us from a volume perspective harder than the first surges did. And then again, what a tough first quarter for that, you know, from a, from an economics uh, and running the business. Now, again, rebounding back, but I think one of those things that is, is really an important thing for us is understanding the volatility of market. I mean, that is not classically something you would think about in healthcare. Healthcare, that was always the story about healthcare, right? Quote, people are always going to be sick. They're always going to need healthcare. It's a recession-proof business. It's anything but, and it's being impacted more than ever before. And then I think then, but going one step further, understanding that the demand for healthcare is actually way more elastic than I think we quite realized or expected, right? You know, we don't understand why was it during COVID, we literally did not see strokes, you know, nearly at the same volume before. You have a stroke, you would think people do come forward with these symptoms, right? It's it's alarming. So I think it there's it, it has prompted a way deeper or some deeper questions about what is truly happening with our consumers, whether you use the term patients or consumers, that whole separate conversation. So yeah. the, the consumer focus, understanding what is their need is really uh, hopefully driving uh, for us where we're trying to take apart. Well, I'd love to actually dive into that a little bit more. So you talk about consumer focus and you just, you know, you just described the fact that within your area, the areas that you serve, there are stark differences in the profile of the consumers. You know, there's one town with two Apple stores within 10 minutes of each other and the other town with highly disadvantaged population. So when you look at your priorities as Chief Digital Transformation Officer, how are you directing your investment? How are you factoring in this significant differences in your populations? which I'm assuming translates into differences in expectations from a digital enablement standpoint, right? 
Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think so within the priorities within our digital transformation office, I will quote a formula that we stole from someone who we know stole from somebody else. So I'm not exactly sure what the true origin it is. So, but the, that formula is NT plus OO equals COO, right? And, and that just, the listeners on this podcast get nothing out of my words. Memorize that formula because it is, it continues to keep our team. Say that again. NT plus OO equals COO. So what okay. does that mean? New technology plus old organization equals costly old organization. Okay. All right. So for me, when I, yeah, we have a budget for digital transformation. If it was as easy as buying a technology, we would have all have transformed at this point. But if you simply just buy a technology and you wire it into the existing organization, you are open for basically, you're, you're going to be just an expensive version of what you were previously. And if we were previously good at what we're doing, then why are we doing the digital transformation? Yeah. You know, so I, I think we try to spend a lot of our time from our priorities, understanding the operations and where is there a mismatch between what the consumer is asking, truly asking on one end, and how we provide it today. And then say, what are the ways we can transform? And so hence, you know, my title, Digital Transformation Officer, I would say the T in that title is the capital letter. What is the transformation that has to occur? And then where is digital come into it? But where is also the operational change that has to come in? If you do not match those two, and sometimes it's going to be a real problem, and sometimes the digital stuff is ready and the operations is not, it's not ready for the transformation. Sometimes the operations is ready and the digital is not. It's not ready for transformation, right? So that match, I think, is crucial. We spent a lot of time saying, is it ready? And that's, that's where I think we've been successful so far. So uh, can you maybe give us one or two examples of how you've actually implemented this thinking in practice uh, at virtual level? Where do you start? Do you start with a journey map? Do you start with consumer research? Where do you start before you eventually land in the technology? I don't think I have one very good answer. I think, you know, and one thing, you know, other factoid is rarely is there a right answer, but there's usually a few wrong ones to start with. If you can avoid, try to avoid the ones that are pretty clear, like, yeah, that's probably wrong. That at least helps you call the field. And then you just, you have to pick something and go. So in some cases, yes, you do your consumer research, you get focus groups, you get data back, but don't get paralyzed, right? Do not get paralyzed by saying, okay, well, I need more data. I need more data. Get it, make an educated guess, get a prototype out there, and then get feedback. And then probably five iterations into it, you actually start to realize that's what the person's after. This concept of agile design in software has, I mean, that has been around for 20 years. Agile design in an integrated delivery network, it doesn't happen. And so I think if we, as, as for those of us that are in healthcare, can specifically start thinking in these more rapid iterations, which is very uncomfortable for us, right? You know, because I, I think, you know, from as a physician by training, you know, one of, part of the Hippocratic Oath and all of our statements is statement, primum non necessary. First of all, do no harm. You would never hear that in a software development company. They're completely fine with it being, oh, that was a bad idea. So I, I think we have to find a balancing act of, maybe it was a bad idea. It was safe, but that just didn't make the mark. And I think that's, so one example would be online scheduling. So we've had online scheduling, quote, on. Technology has been there. But what we realized as we started digging deeper is, well, but there was a complete mismatch between what the consumer was seeing and then what the doctors 
and our medical group were had on their schedule. So the, the analogy I would give you is if you called the office, or let's use an airline. If you called the airline, American Airlines, whatever you want to call it, the ticket agent uh, or the call agent could see all the seats on the plane. If you physically were at the ticket counter, that agent could see all the tickets on the plane. But right. if you went to the website, they could only see rows three and four. Okay, so how is that online scheduling? Right. So quote, it was on, but the operational piece had not evolved. And so, you know, what we went from is doing around 13, 14,000 online scheduling appointments per year. Now we're doing 13, 14,000 per month. That was within about 12 month change. Thousands of phone calls, fewer phone calls, people making their own appointments. And, you know, and, and so the impact, downstream impact of that, both from a revenue and a cost perspective, has been enormous. Let's take a quick break. And I'd like to acknowledge our partners and sponsors, Be Well. And if you like this podcast, rate us on whatever favorite podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're interested in listening to the archives, visit us at thebigunlock.com. With that, back to the conversation. So online scheduling is a fantastic use case, right? This is really where you can make a difference with digital. You're giving consumers, you're empowering your consumers to make their appointments. Maybe do a bunch of other things, do a little symptom triaging, maybe make their co-pays, everything online. So you're really effectively giving them the empowerment, also you know, lessening the burden on your own organization at the same time. And presumably there are very good trade-offs that, that you're measuring. Let's talk about the challenges. You know, let's just take that same example. And online scheduling, you know, we've seen this. You know, my firm works with health systems, as you know, Theron, and we've seen every possible flavor that you can think of. You've obviously accomplished a significant amount because you just gave us the numbers, you know, 14,000 a year to 14,000 a month. That, by any definition, is great progress. What were the challenges you had to overcome? An analogy I like to use is the fear factor. Do people necessarily resist change because they don't see the promise? No, I think you can, you know, most people can say, yeah, I can see the promise. But the question is, I can also tend to see, and specifically, I would say, working with physicians, because again, it comes down to our training, right? We, we go through residency training. It's gladiatorial training. If you do X, Y, Z, Q, W, 5, patient survives. Now we're saying, hey, listen, skip a couple of things. Don't go through this convoluted path. Just go from here to here. It'll be fine. And I'm like, but wait a minute. I know if I do this every single time, I get a good outcome. So the question comes down to is trust. And for us, with our clinicians, we were saying, okay, help us understand what makes you worry about putting your schedule online. And the biggest fear over and over was, I'm worried that the wrong appointment is going to get booked. And what that means, okay, well, what does that mean, though? And that means is, well, if it's a brand new patient who booked into an established slot, new patients, I need half hour, 45 minutes longer. Established patient, maybe it's, that's a 15, 20 I'm behind already. If that happens first in the morning, I'm catching up all day, right? So I said, okay, well, we can work towards that, right? So maybe we can, you got, and listen, you're always going to have your folks who are your early adopters. Yeah. You, just, you, right, you just let them go. Your late adopters are going to be really hard, but in between, if you can get the momentum in between, then that's where it is. And that's just working. Let's do a couple, turn it on for a day, right? It's not a big bang approach. Just turn it on for a day. How did it go? Oh, it was okay. Let's turn it on for two days, right? I know it sounds, that could be painful and it's iterative, but the reality is that's how change happens. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I was decide back to it's like an Atul Gawande article, slow ideas. Everyone wants everything to go viral, and when they do, it's wonderful. But some things don't go viral, and you just got to work with people and meet them where they are. What a fantastic story. Change Management 101. I think you just described the whole thing uh, very eloquently. I'd also like to touch upon the technology enablement aspects of this change. Now, you talked about the human element, you know, physicians and clinicians who are worried about exposing their schedule and, and that getting in the way of their work. Let's talk about the tech. What challenges did you have to deal with when you implemented the tech or the data or the infrastructure? Just, just talk to us about that whole ball of wax, if you will. So I had put this in my LinkedIn profile. I don't know if I did come up with this de novo or sublimely I stole it from somebody else, but I have heard the statement, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. If that's the case, then workflow eats technology for lunch, dinner, and dessert. Well said. And we've all seen it, right? You ask someone to swivel between screens, I already know this is going to be, I mean, the impact of what I'm going to get if I swivel to another screen, to another login, even if it's single sign-on, it's got SAML tokens, blah, 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 I already know right, voltage drop is going to be enormous. So the other thing, though, is I, I think one of the questions we try to ask, and I heard it from somebody else, they always ask, so what? Maybe there's a nicer way to ask it. If I do this technology, what am I going to get for it? What is the proposed return? And so, you know, one of the things our team uses, whether you use a balanced scorecard or, or you, know, you know, smart goals. I mean, we like to use OKRs, objectives, and key results. What are my leading key R, key results? What are my uh, lagging key results? Fine. If I put this in, one of these numbers has to move. And then, one of the other things we do from a technology perspective, if it's not moving, are you prepared to rip it out? And another thing we also do is, for every one thing we bring in, we need to rip out at least one to two others. It just cannot be this, uh, I think about this poster from the 1980s, you know, he who has the most toys wins. Not a viable solution for us in this space. So you, you talked about the technology options, the technology solution, talk about rip and replace and so on. So we are living through a moment, there's literally thousands of solutions for you to pick from once you've designed the experience. And these solutions come from your native EHR system. They come from nimble, young startups and enterprise class tech firms, everything in between. How do you go about making the choices? And talk to us specifically about what you see as the, the current moment for digital health startups in particular. Yeah, and especially given the, um, the frothiness of the investment market has uh, normalized for now. So, I mean, I, I think of, I can certainly give you a framework we look at things. So one of the things, and you know, this is important for us, not everything can be transformational. And incrementalism is not necessarily a bad thing, right? So, so some things, hey, listen, we just need to get a little bit better at this. We need to make constantly iterate. I would think of something like um, order sets. Yeah, I got to make my order sets better. I got to make my, you know, some of my other functionality within my EMR better. That's incremental. And that is important. You can't stop that. That's not where our shop ball focuses in. We focus, try to focus on like five or six major transformational things. And we have to stay focused. And I think one of the problems we had, and one of the mistakes I'll own early is I didn't say no enough. I am trying to say no a lot. And if you really want to do this, operational owner, you have to prove to me what you're prepared to do to do this, right? Because there's not... I can't make the change for you. I will make the change with you. 
is how we, we think about it. With regards to, you know, when we look at technology, I think we look at it as, is this a problem that our, one of our existing solutions can either solve today or in the next 18 months, somewhere right. in that window, right? It's a little bit different depending on the problem. If it can be solved today with an existing solution, to go outside of that, you really need to have a really good explanation, right? Why someone wants to go with a tool outside of that. If it can be solved, it's not there today, but one of our existing tools is on, has a good roadmap to get there in the next 18 months, then it's a decision on severity of, of market need, market yeah. demand, demand on that one. And then if they say, no, we feel pretty confident it's not on the roadmap or it's two years out, then we'll, we're open to go looking working with a startup or a partner who's trying to answer this question. That stated, very transparently, we don't sign 10-year contracts. Constantly kind of have to keep proving yourself because the reality is, is one of those native systems that we have on our native platforms eventually is going to catch up. And it's probably going to offer it for a fraction of the cost of what the startup is. And I'll give you an example with video visits, right? Video visits, we were paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for video visit solutions now we're paying 28 cents for one video visit. Purely click as you go, right? So as the commoditization happens, the startups have to continue to say, what is the problem I am trying to solve? If you, you may have a good contract right now, you have to work off the assumption in three years, that problem someone else has solved for cheaper and it's been commoditized. But take the learnings you've had by partnering with the health system to say, okay, what are the problems am I seeing? I'm going to help you solve that. That's an approach that I think when we look for when, when we partner with, uh, with folks. You said something really profound there, Tarun, and I want to go back to make sure I heard it right. You said that, firstly, you don't sign 10-year contracts. That is understandable. But you also said that you anticipate that some of your uh, enterprise class, uh, systems of record, uh, EHR, whatever you want to call it, you anticipate that they're going to eventually catch up to the digital health startups and the innovators. And so what I'm hearing between the lines here is that as and when that happens, you will rip and replace a standalone solution and move more towards a more consolidated applications infrastructure. And so essentially that stacks the deck uh, for the longer term against startups. Am I hearing you right there? What's your advice uh, to startups who are listening to this? It's simple. It's the reality of the world, right? I mean, and I don't think there's anything I'm saying on the healthcare space that's any different than any other space, right? I mean, everything in tech, healthcare side of line, you got the big five in their respective areas, right? I mean, we know talking to a bunch of startups, listen, I ask them all the time, what's your exit strategy? And like between link, be acquired by Optum, right? I mean, that is literally like half of the startups we talk to is like, why? Yeah. That's our only choice. All right. But, you know, I, I will tell you, though, some of the startups we've, I've seen and worked with, and once they get acquired by Optum, you have to understand something like that happening. When you, when you get pitched, pulled into that space, it changes the dynamic of the original relationship. Because in some cases, we want to work with people who are independent outside of the ecosystem. Some places, it just makes sense for it to be part of the ecosystem. So, you know, being mindful of, am I sitting in a space that, benefits me being somewhat separate from the big ones or complementary or eventually tied in, right? Because there's this big misnomer in healthcare IT that the health systems are flush with cash. If you think that's the case, we, you can look up at our PLs, almost all not-for-profits. We're talking low single-digit 
operating margins. Right. So it is, I wouldn't say bloodbath would be a strong word, but I think it is very, very difficult and tight. And each day you have 10,000 people leaving the commercial insurance world where that pays better to the Medicare world. It comes back to that value proposition. I think, I, you know, unfortunately, I, I don't know if I'm giving anything profound here, but understanding that value proposition you're truly bringing. So there obviously begs the ROI question. You're making a lot of digital health investments. Now, the example you gave of online scaling, you know, that one, that one is pretty obvious. It's paying back for itself. But there may be others where they're either at the margin or a potentially at risk of being discontinued. It sounds like you're making these evaluations on an ongoing basis. Is there a rubric that you use when it comes to building a case for a new solution where there is an adequate data for you to say whether it's going to work or not, especially in a margin-constrained landscape like healthcare providers. Yeah, I wish I could say we put into an Excel spreadsheet and a formula comes out and scores 99, we go with it. If it comes out with 60, we don't, right? I, I would love to say that. I will tell you there are some gut calls sometimes. You know, again, we won't leverage the house on a gut call. Yeah. That's not something we're going to do. You know, but I think one of the things we've stated, though, is our, our, our investment in digital, you know, our thesis is very clear. Any incremental investment has to help us gain consumers who want to be part of our health system, retain consumers who, if we don't offer this, are going to find another solution that is, you know, that meets their value proposition. And then it has to be real tangible savings, right? It can't be this soft, well, you know, I mean, some, sometimes I look at some of the valuations and the ROI calculations folks come up with. It's like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll save you half a day in the hospital, which will then lead to $10,000 of savings. So like, yeah, maybe you're off by like two decimals there, right? I mean, it, it's, it has to be hard, tangible. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm sure the venture capitalists listening to this are also uh, taking note. We are going through a moment, as you pointed out, we see funding environment is pulling back just a little bit. We're in a very interesting uh, time here. And so we are coming up to the end of our conversation for this podcast. I'd like to, to ask you one last question. You've been in this role now for two or three years. In fact, I would argue that you came into the role almost at a perfect time because you had the opportunity to really experiment with a lot of things because the market gave you the opportunity to do so with the pandemic and so on. If there's one thing or two things that you would like to share with your peers who are listening to this conversation based on your experience as uh, a chief digital transformation officer, what would those be? I'll give two. I, I think they're probably the same thing, but maybe slightly different ways of saying it. So when I, was, I mentioned was I was in a startup when I first came out of training, one of the, the guys who mentored me gave a statement that I he, one of his mentors gave him, and that is no one ever went out of business because they focused too much. Now, you may not be the biggest business, you may not be getting on the speaking stages, and you may not be on the cover of XYZ magazine, but you'll still be in business. Yeah. And I think corollary to that is, and it's, you know, a term we use in, inside of our organization, and specifically my team, is cold-blooded execution. Yeah. There's a lot of cool, there's a lot of talk, but at the end, those who execute will win. And there will be winners and losers in this space. I mean, we've seen it over the last couple of years that will only continue to accelerate. That is relatively new for integrated delivery networks, right? That, wait a minute, there are integrated delivery networks who are essentially either are going to have to get acquired or in some places shut down because they did not thrive in this business. But cold, hard execution, ideas are wonderful, 
but execution wins. Fantastic. That was such a wonderful conversation. Well, Tarun, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there for today. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you so much for sharing your insights from your work. And uh, we'll be watching and, and cheering for you and your team from the sidelines. Thank you once again and all the very best. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for your time and really look forward to it. Once again, I'd like to thank our partners, Bewell, for their sponsorship and their support. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at with your feedback and questions.